0: RE is a podcast brought to you by New Heights Church, a church located in Mission BC focused on being church with mission in mind. We acknowledge that we gather, live, play, and worship on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Stolo First Nation.
1: We are your hosts, Greg Elford
0: and Jess Steffick.
1: and this is the RE podcast. The prefix that hopes for more than we had before..
0: So
2: I think in in particular, as we think about um, how sexuality and and sexual diversity means that in some of our communities, there's become an us and themness. I think the the emancipatory trajectory of scripture that sets us all free really speaks to those power dynamics of setting up an us and them. And that the Bible is written to those people who more often it's written to the oppressed. It's written to set people free. It just doesn't square with having an us and them about who's in our communities and, and who's not allowed.
0: Isn't it interesting how topics come up across the spectrum of experience, but because of cultural taboo, much of the common experience or unique idiosyncrasies are silenced. Today, the RE podcast is talking about issues related to sexuality. Undoubtedly, the topic spans a wide range of complex questions rooted in the core understanding of who we are, how we connect, and what to think when issues related to our sexuality push us for answers in questions that don't always have clear precedents.
1: Who of us couldn't point to an example of dehumanizing behavior that's related to misinformed or unchecked sexuality? From the way the world markets sex to sexual abuse or harassment, the discrimination of friends with alternate sexual preferences, to questions around gender and the objectification of people who are created in God's image, we see quickly that talking about sexuality is far more wide-reaching than many other topics. Today we invite Amy Caswell Bratton to give us some insight on how others are laying foundations to have healthy and productive conversation on a topic that is so emotionally charged in so many ways for so many people. Amy comes to the re-podcast as a longtime friend, a bright thinker, and one who brings a Wesleyan historical lens as well as theological commitment to a topic that requires nuance to achieve helpful dialogue. Warning, this podcast is maybe best listened to without children present. All right, well, we are so thrilled to have you here today with us, Amy. Um, our history goes back a long time, and so I count you as a friend from afar, and so I'm super grateful that you'd be willing to come and uh, lend your voice to this conversation that we're having as a community. Um, out of curiosity, for folks that have never met you or, or have been acquainted with you in any way, can you tell us how you've been introducing yourself these days?
2: hmm That's, in some ways, that's a more complex question uh, because I I am multivocational. So in terms of my identity, I have lots of pieces. So I'll start with the the family piece. I am wife to my husband, Tim. I am mother to Oswald and Ira that keep me busy. They're three and five. Um, And then vocationally for work these days, I work with the New Leaf Network and I, I do editing for the, the Writers Collective I, and the Advent Reader. I do um, some work with the publishing new publishing division. I do lots of other behind the scenes things. And um, I also work as an adjunct professor with a few students at a time at Rocky Mountain College um, online. And I work with our church plant, a Free Methodist church plant here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, um, called Riversdale Neighbors Church. And we, we have a team of of multi-vocational uh, ministers involved in in that church plan as well, so lots of hats I've been wearing these days. And then on the the unpaid gig side of things, I've been on the Free Methodist Study Commission on Doctrine, which is the theological committee, and I've been part of the task forces that have been running around the the issues of women in leadership as well as lgbtq 2s plus um, engagement so've I've had a good chance to to talk theology and talk practice with for Methodists in the last several years I'm I'm a graduate of Regent College and my studies there were around the history of Christian spirituality so I love to talk about my mm-hmm. my topic which is early Methodist spirituality and and there's lots of Lots of conversation there as
1: well. I, I think that's maybe the, the most succinct um, introduction I've heard in a while. So thank you. That gives us a great picture. Um, I'm, I'd love to hear how the topics that uh, the denomination, um, the Free Methodist Church in Canada, how it ended up being uh, women in ministry and issues related to um, LGBTQ2+. plus. Um, I'd love to hear how that came about.
2: Yeah, the so the women in leadership team was a little bit more of a, a no-brainer as that got off the ground. I was asked to be a part of that. And I've been wrestling with what does my role as a, a woman in, in ministry look like since I went to Bible school and felt the, the call into vocational ministry, but didn't know how that would look um, and didn't end up taking a path down toward ordination and part of my journey toward in other ways, either academic or parachurch, has I felt the release to not pursue ordination, but to advocate for women who are called into that pastoral role. And so I love thinking about that as a, a young woman. I graduated from Bible school at 23 and didn't see a place for me as a young, unmarried woman in the church. Felt like it was a boys club and so I always was thinking about that and thinking about how do I fit in there? So it's been a, an interesting part of my journey to the last several years here to work with other um, lay women across Canada to think about what are the barriers of women in leadership. And so many of the things that we were thinking about are not just about women, but how do we, how do we include people that maybe are more on the margins? Um, so anything that we're recommending be addressed or revisited or, or things like that um, I think that it applies to more than just women it's anybody who's felt like they don't have a place and even when they have a call from God to do ministry and then the LGBTQ2S plus committee um, was formed about the same time and I was really it was a hard decision to to say yes to both because it's it has been a lot of commitment to, to engage both, but I'm really grateful that both have been happening at the same time. Whereas the women in leadership has been about re-engaging free Methodist ethos and, and the way to enliven our ethos of, of bringing women into a place of leadership when they haven't been included. The, The LGBTQ plus conversation has been about feeling like it's somewhere new that we're going, but I think there is a consistency there of, of, engaging people who have felt like they're on the margins of, of our churches and free Methodists have always been about those people. We've always been about caring for the poor and the, the people who are not necessarily the culturally powerful. And so we need to, we need to engage that.
1: So that uh, is a great segue into a question we often ask when we're talking to someone who's done a lot of thinking on a subject and that we're hoping to learn from. We, uh, we'd we love to have a posture that you think is the right one to enter the conversation with. And being that we call ourselves the re-podcast, we usually invite people to come up with a, a re-word, something that adds nuance to the conversation, maybe. Is there one that leaps to mind for you that might be a, a posture you'd invite us to use as we approach this topic?
2: Mm-hmm. I think the one that came to mind was re-engage. So, I, I feel like the conversation around sexuality has both been a conversation we always have had and people are always wondering about, um, but it's also been somewhat of a taboo conversation and, and to just ask people to, to not give in to that temptation to keep things private or to, to not talk about and to re-engage in the people around you, in the conversation, in, in things you don't understand, to just um, come back to it, be willing to, to engage.
0: I love um, that word, Amy. I think it sets us up well for the conversation we're about to have. Um, and just to kind of further set us up for success here, I'm wondering if you could please clarify any terms or ideas or, um, yeah, words that come to mind that might be good to have some kind of definition for uh, for those of us who who feel maybe overwhelmed by the conversation or who feel like there are a lot of things we don't know. Um, what would you say to that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so one of the one of the
2: things about any conversation is that there's always jargon mm-hmm. and <laughs> terms and things like that. Um, so in in the conversation around sexuality. The, the term LGBTQ or LGBTQ2s or with a plus at the end um, is often a way to shorthand this conversation and I uh, if you want to know what the letters stand for I just for the sake of time you can Google any one of those letters and, and get a, a definition um, but but more broadly that that group of lettering and numbers now with 2s as a part of it um, it represents people it represents self understanding of how they encounter the world. And it's, it's a term that 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 community has um, asked people to use. So it's a, an honoring thing to use it. Um, I will flag the two which is a little less um, known, um, it stands for two spirit. And it's one of the indigenous ways of understanding um, a sexuality that isn't as binary as as a Western colonial understanding may think of it. Um, so that, that piece is an intersection between um, indigenous engagement and sexuality engagement. So uh, I I like that that's included in a lot of the titles as well so that we're acknowledging that there's not even just a white um, colonial understanding of each of those letters as well. It's, it's a community. Don't lump all of those letters in as a uni- unified experience. Each, letter that gets added is because there's a different experience of the world um, based on their sexuality. And then then the other side of the conversation is less about sexuality and more about gender. So thinking about how there's biological sex, which would be what people are born with gender, which is more about our cultural constructs around the idea of maleness, femaleness, or, or things in between. And then there's more talk recently around gender fluidity and non-binary. Um, queering the binary is another phrase that is talking about just how black and white isn't enough. It's not enough to explain what people's experiences are. And I think anybody would, would talk about how, you know, um, men and women, there's no, there are some general things, but there's no, it's an individual's experience is their own. Um, I know I panicked less when I was getting married to try to think I need to understand marriage and men. And it's like, no, I just need to understand my husband <laughs> and I need to keep asking him questions when I don't understand him, <laughs> which is still 10 years into the marriage. We're still asking lots of questions. So.
1: No, that's uh that's help very helpful just to set the stage that e- even to acknowledge the, diversity of experience among those different indicators the letters are indicative of experience and even within those experiences there's a whole spectrum I think that's one of the things that immediately comes to mind is like if we're going to talk about sexuality the host of questions that we could be asking is enormous and so um, we're wondering if there's a different way to approach the topic than like an FAQ sort of situation, frequently asked questions, where it's like, okay, let's just hit the, the hot buttons. Um, how have you been thinking about um, how to approach the topic in general?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to give you a little bit of an, an insider look um, at the Free Methodist conversation, I know as we were given <laughs> sort of a mandate to look at this question and, and there were clearly some things that the mandate asked and what people were bringing to the table, it became really clear that it was going to be more important how we talked to each other about it than um, did we answer every question any any given pastor, any church or parishioner was asking in, in light of, of the topic because there's going to be endless questions about what do we do about this what do we do about that and in some ways the more questions we got the more we realized every situation needs to be approached as an as a particular uh, maybe some principles behind it but knowing that it's so complicated because there's individuals connected to it it's not just theoretical um so i i have been quite moved to try to remind people that it matters how we talk about these things and that a foundational principle of our Christian faith is that the other person and all of us in the conversation are created in the image of God and that we need to remember that that loving call to love each other is foundational, that that is central to our faith. And if we can't have this conversation in a loving way, then we are something's wrong with the, with the conversation itself. And, and that's, what's been really, I really struggle with how that hot button aspect of the conversation has gone um, to be so, so triggering. So can be so hateful. Um, And from both sides, potentially that there's, there's things being said that are, are keeping us apart rather than drawing us into kinship with each other. Um, so the kinds of things that draw us away from recognizing our own humanity and, our, and the humanity of the people we're talking with and talking about um, our problems in how we have this conversation. So remembering our humanity. Um, and, and I think for me, one of, the, one of the reasons this conversation has been so hard is partly we don't always remember our history um, I was really blessed to study, study at Regent under a historian named Sarah Williams, and her her focus was in Victorian era, and as she reminded us, like some of these sexual taboos and sexual, even the sexual pendulum swinging another way against a taboo, really comes just from the Victorian era in the, the 19, 19th century, the 1800s, and, and it, history. If you have a bigger view of history, things have changed and shifted, and and to not be so scared to talk about things because um, those taboos of the Victorian era to not talk and not and to keep things behind closed doors has has caused a lot more damage for our ability to surface the beauty of sexuality and the the health of sexuality as well as to address. Uh, when things are uh, askew and and causing harm so
0: thanks amy yeah i really appreciate that uh that reminder to know that we're not just talking talking about a topic but we're talking about real people and real people's lives i think that how can that not change the way that we have this conversation so thank you for that reminder there um, I'm wondering, you, you've you talked about kind of sexuality as this taboo or kind of hot topic issue that has the potential to um, create divide or, or harm uh, in the way that we speak to one another. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit, and maybe this is just from your own experience, um, maybe not the end-all be-all of why this is such a tense topic, but what have you found um, to be some variables that make Sexuality, in particular, so uh, so tense and particularly damaging in some cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
2: I think that it's it's a topic. I mean, I grew up in the I was a teenager in the nineties, so height of purity culture and and things like that. And as as in some ways, it was taboo to talk about sexuality and in other ways it was in our face all the time it's in uh in the culture in the advertising um and yet i don't feel like my my young years and and my even in my 20s that there was a a fully orbed conversation and and i do think about how the the victorian era taboos pushed that to be um a conversation that happened behind the scenes and and if you didn't have someone to talk to about it and uh, honestly talk about it it just it just doesn't get talked about and then I mean our own church cultures that as long as things are good you don't really talk about things so I I know I never heard healthy married couples talking about sexuality and what a a positive vision of, of where we're going. So that kind of silence of just, everything's okay. We're all good. That happens in a lot of areas, I think flows over into sexuality, but, and yet sexuality is so close to our, our bodies. It's it's, it is so connected to our lived experience um, that I think it does it, there is an intensity to it that, that other parts of our life don't hold. Um, and yet it, we do need to be careful that it, it doesn't become an, an idol and, and a part of our, our life that is, is higher than what God is calling us to, to be and, and do. And it's, it, it can be life-giving. And yet we know from our culture, we know from the me too movement, we know I'm sure anecdotally, if not personally that, that sexual assault, sexual harassment, um, things that are based around that, shaming for either behavior or identity or, or just being um, is so personal to people and we can use sexuality as a weapon so easily. Um, and, and those kinds of wounds are, are deep and need, need healing that is, is not simple and
1: straightforward. You've identified like pain as maybe the elephant in the room when we when we dive into a topic that could stretch into infidelities that have broken up families or uh, pornography addictions or like really this topic heads down all kinds of different avenues. Um, so I like the idea of of slowing the conversation down around the particularities and maybe more being cognizant of the pain in the room. Um, what do you think is a way to be respectful of the pain without being um, afraid to uh, have a conversation?
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so one thing uh, in a conversation I had just last week, I... I was bringing to the table about my my study of wesleyan um, spirituality wesleyan history um so john wesley um 18th century minister founder of the methodist church which led to the free methodist church his understanding of spirituality and of the human person so he, he didn't invent it it was just what he was living with in his era was quite complex that he understood the human person to be like the things that you do. Yes. And you're accountable for those, but then there's another layer to the human person of, of your inner world. So whether that's anger or pain or, or greed or the positive things, the joy and peace. And, and then even below that, there's another layer of, of really deep motivations that that can be disordered or God can heal. Um, So he had quite a complex view of the human person and between his time and our time shifts in understanding the human person have flattened that out. And we often see people only as what they do. And so then, especially when we're looking at other people, we, I think intuitively, we know in ourselves that we're complex and we're not just the thing that we, that we act out, whether it's positive or negative. Um, but in other people, we can see like, oh, oh, that person has had um, um, sexual partners, 10 sexual partners over the last two years or something like that. And you're like, oh, I wonder if there's if, if there's some something going on with them or there's pain there or there and, and you can just judge them from their action. But with having like a deeper understanding of human people, I think there's more of an ability to be talking about things that we could connect with each other. On those inner experiences, not just about the behavior that is the symptom of it or the expression, the positive expression or negative expression. So to be able to talk about the pain of of sexual issues or um, abuses or things like that, it, there are some foundational things that we could be talking about. We can be talking about attachment. We can be talking about alienation or being abandoned. You can talk about. Um, not feeling safe or secure, uh, the kinds of connection to people feeling resonant with people. So there's a lot of things that you could talk about that acknowledges that pain that is more universally human, that we can see each other as as creations of God and, and made in his image. Um, and the way that God is relational, then we're made for relationship. We're, we long for connection. And sexuality is some of that expression of of longing for connection. And whether that's um, like actual genital sexuality or the the romantic relationships or things like that, it's that longing for human to human connection that is just built into us as human beings. And that inner world is a place where we can all connect um, and have resonance with other people, even if your experience with sexuality has been very different from someone else.
0: So then with that in mind um what i'm hearing you not say is that in every conversation about sexuality we should try and find a good and bad or a right and wrong that kind of idea so if that's not really probably a a realistic goal even or maybe a healthy goal um, what would be like having a conversation with someone about an aspect of sexuality What, what would you say you would feel good about walking away with like, what's, what's a healthy end goal for conversations surrounding topics to do with sexuality? Mm -hmm. I, I think so much
2: that is contextual. It's, it's trying to find out for that person, what, what is good and life giving. And that's not, that's not a relativism of that. There is no good and bad. Um, but just knowing that um, there, it's just complex and that having, having something as complex as the biblical record to guide us around what, what things are good and life-giving in our lives um, colors not just our sexuality, but our whole life. And as we're looking for wisdom about how to how to engage people you know, we can look to passages about um, caring for the vulnerable, not just passages about what we do with our, our sexual action. And yet there, there is, um, there are ways in which we as the church, I think in our silence have have abandoned setting any kind of parameters around, you know, that wasn't healthy for that person. So like, hey, let's call it, Let's call it unhealth, and let's look for healing. Um, and so, to not totally abandon good and bad, but to to realize that there's complex realities that point people toward healing, point people to life, point rather than pointing people to to darkness and dysfunction and alienation from other people and themselves. Um, if we can, if we can long for more of that, and and that's not to say that everybody's the best judge of their own, their own goodness. We, we can listen to the Holy spirit on behalf of each other too. And, and hopefully have relationships where we know enough of that person's context to speak the hard truth sometimes, but it certainly comes better from someone who knows you and you trust than from someone who's set out. I know exactly where the line is and when it gets crossed and that kind of certainty on a lot of topics, causes more harm than good i think uh, when we don't we don't use the context of our of ourselves and our people who are around us and the context of the whole of scripture to speak into moving toward more life and more um as one of my favorite professors at regents said, the emancipatory thrust of scripture god wants to set us free he doesn't want to enslave us
1: well you um you led me right into our next question, uh, which is uh, I'm wondering like when you are digging into particular passages that people point to, and I know that's that's n- sometimes not helpful um, but like avoiding them isn't helpful either, and yet when you dig into them, you see the spectrum of really um clever uh, scholastic work, really clever kind of work in the original language that arrive at very different conclusions. And so for uh, like a lay person or someone that doesn't have time to devote to the study of things, h- how do you help us think about um, how to approach some of the passages that face reading seem to be communicating something that uh, if, if we read it a certain way, Um, would alienate one whole side of the conversation like what what do you do with the bible in the midst of this uh conversation
2: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a very very complex part of this conversation and um a few sort of preliminary thoughts around it is don't don't give up on the bible is the first thing like keep talking to god about these questions don't Don't throw out the possibility that God has something to say um, either through scripture, through other, through community, through a direct revelation through the Holy spirit to you um, to speak into your questions and your, your wonderings. Um, And then to also think about the fact that like you said, People have studied uh, with in good faith and earnestly on these topics and have come to very different positions and not there's not just two there's, there's lots of positions and so to if you are asking these kinds of questions to go find some of those authors and continue to find differing sides of it to hear those, those journeys they've been on. and I'm not as well read on all the possibilities as, as maybe I used to be when there were less choices out there, um, how people were talking about this. But thinking about how do we read scripture and how those hard passages or passages that have been used to wound um, clobber passages. I know around the women in leadership issue, I, I know those clobber passages that were used um, in my context sometimes sometimes. Um, Once you've wrestled with them and maybe once you've come to a a piece for how you deal with it, to not stop there and to continue to wrestle with all of scripture and to say, okay, if I if I see this passage in this way, how does the rest of scripture speak to me about how I'm choosing to live my life in light of that? And if it's um, to keep wrestling until you're feeling some some consistency there, some integration between you know if God's calling you to love your neighbor and a clobber passage is making you feel like you need to tell them something really um, damning and and then that's you're probably not done wrestling <laughs> you need to keep going and and keep trying to figure out how is this God speaking um, and to know that like traditionally a lot of traditions keep wrestling. That's the, that's the way we engage like the rabbinic tradition that, that has wrestled with scripture for, for millennia. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a fairly new expression sometimes of thinking that the Bible is just straightforward and easy to understand. And once it's said, we will totally understand it. It never changes. Um, I think there's a lot of room for, for asking the hard questions and, and keep wrestling.
0: I'm wondering you said earlier, oh, I'm going to is did you say the emancipatory trajectory of scripture? Is that what you said? Okay, so I'm wondering if you could even just speak to your own kind of lens, the way that you read the Bible. Um what's what's a helpful trajectory that you see as a constant throughout the Bible that um you go back to to kind of interpret and think about some of these questions that we're talking about today. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So I think, in in particular,
2: as we think about um, how sexuality and and sexual diversity means that in some of our communities there's become an us and themness. I think the the emancipatory trajectory of scripture that sets us all free really speaks to those pi- power dynamics of setting up an us and them, and that the Bible is written to those people who are, more often it's written to the oppressed it's a written to set people free it's written to the the slave nation of israel to to walk into the exodus it's written to the exiled israel it's written to the occupied um, israel as roman uh, rome occupies them and and when we're not reading it to To see that God wants to set us free from from these political realities, from from ourselves, from our brokenness, from our dysfunctional relationships with other people. And that God's trajectory is to more healing and more wholeness. It just doesn't square with having an us and them about who's in our communities and and who's not allowed. Uh, The kind of power read, um, that there's a different read on scripture when... um, when it's setting up husband and wives submit to each other it's it's a that same pass that same sentence is heard differently from the man who holds power and and culturally uh, assumes that he does not need to submit to his wife as opposed to the woman reading it and saying oh this is empowering I get I get to say things to my husband and it's this it's it's a contextual um message in light of the power dynamics and so to be really aware that as we as we approach our sexuality and as we approach these political hot button issues to to live into that thrust for freedom that thrust for um, those who have power to make more space to empty themselves as, as Christ did, the canonic impulse to, to open up and make space for other voices. And for those who do feel oppressed, feel marginalized, it's a space where Jesus looked women in the eye and talked to them, particularly. He he's made way for them to be leaders in the Christian community. He, he just made space for those who are on the margins to, to live into more truth and more goodness. And, and not by giving them the power, but by making power be less important and more more diffuse. So that, that sort of freedom thrust would definitely be something that would color that if there's anything in our sexual ethic, in our response to sexuality, that leads us to more, more oppression, Or more division, then we probably haven't wrestled long enough yet with how we're reading that, that that our sexual ethics bring us to wholeness, it brings us to unity, it brings us to living out um, of our own humanity and, and made in God's image.
0: This is the Re podcast, and today we're talking with our guest, Amy Caswell Bratton, about sexuality. We're talking about how perhaps even more important than black and white answers on a potentially damaging or triggering topic might be the way we engage the people we're talking with, or sometimes about, with the lens of compassion. As another way to have this conversation in a productive way and in a way that maybe aligns better with the trajectory of scripture, this idea of of um, like power and or I guess empowerment for those who have been in less power and and taking care of those who have been pushed aside or or however you define that, I'm wondering: is there some kind of container or model or something? Um, that gives us a picture of healthy sexuality, something that can better help us to better understand maybe what what might be along that trajectory that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: that's a, that's a, a big question to to look at. but to look at health, um, not necessarily focusing on dysfunction, I think is a good thing. Of, um, I remember someone saying, we haven't as, as faithful Christians who are maybe married um, we haven't necessarily lifted the roof off our houses and said, see, come look at our healthy sexuality, (laughs) Um, especially for young people who haven't, aren't married and aren't exposed to that part of their life maybe yet. Um, And, and I think one of the main pieces to think about where we're going in terms of healthy sexuality is, is health in general in our whole beings, like what, what things about our sexuality give us, um, more, more integration between the things that we think about and the things that our, our lives act out, um, places where, where there's not that, um, dissonance in our heart. When we, when we do something that, that doesn't jive with, with what we think and value, um, so then, I mean, that does beg the question of what do we value of, of positive sexuality? Um, and it's a, a place where where we can connect and feel safe and have intimacy. Uh, and that's not limited to to um, genital sexuality. I know um, in this season of, of my own marriage, post kids and busy parenting life, um, it's a it, the, the intimacy of a, a cuddle during a movie or something like that is, is important um, to our marriage as much as um, having sexual intimacy. And um, definitely my, my experience of my body has shifted over the childbearing years, which I, I honestly never thought of as a young person and thinking about sexuality, um, how my, my physicality, my embodiedness of of sexuality actually shifts and changes and um it needs to it needs to be responsive it needs to be in relation to the other people that i relate to um and and yeah that that piece of it that sexuality is inherently um about connection and so to anything that that disconnects you more than connects you um, so if, if we're thinking of some of the, the things in our culture that lead to more disconnection, um, say porn and things like that, then things that are positive and bring you back into a deeper connection with yourself and a connection with people around you is, is a positive and healthy expression of, of your sexuality.
1: I appreciate you navigating that that question and being personal because it's, you're lifting the taboo and I think that's so healthy. Um, I, I'm thinking of friends of mine that, uh, are single and feel underrepresented when we have conversations like this, where, uh, they aren't without sexual, um, drives without, uh, a, a sexuality, a needing an ethic. And yet, so much of the conversation is around, like, healthy marriage, and yet we, we see this call to singleness that it, it, it certainly doesn't sound like a downgrade when Jesus and Paul talk about it in Scripture. And, and so I'm curious if you could speak to our single friends a little bit of, like, what does it look like to have a healthy view of your sexuality when um, maybe you've felt called to be a single, or maybe you um, have never met someone that uh, you've desired a deeper relationship with, or that opportunity hasn't come up in your life. How does this conversation reach uh, out to folks that find themselves in that position?
2: Yeah, that's, that's important. And it, it's been important to me as well. Um, I didn't I didn't meet my husband at the age of 16 and high school sweethearts or anything like that. So I, I definitely through my twenties was wrestling with that question. And one of the moments that caused me to just have a big sigh of relief was when I heard someone interpret the, the passage in Genesis about um, Eve being created for, for Adam. And, um, in the context of bigger community, that it wasn't a, it, that need for not to not be alone wasn't about the marital relationship. It wasn't about pairing everybody off. Um, I heard one time that a young adult ministry was called pairs and spares. I'm like, how, how horrible is that for the, for the spares? And I know like, most of my 20s, I was, I was a spare and I wasn't, I wasn't in relationships at all. And I, I felt alienated from that way. Like I heard people talk about marriage being the sanctifying way to learn about God and yourself. And it was like, oh, so all these things I'm learning in my twenties don't count. Um, So realizing that, that God creating Eve for Adam could be a sign of God wanting everyone to be in community, not necessarily within romantic relationships was a big sigh of relief to me to say, I can find that fulfillment of the drive for community in ways other than genital sexuality (laughs) or married relationship, that there are so many ways. And even once being married, real, I had somebody offer advice at a bridal shower of like, don't expect your husband to meet all your emotional needs because he's not going to. <laughs> and It's just such a good grounding. Like we all need so many more than just one person in our life. And by inviting singles into our family systems, by creating um, positive platonic relationships between men and women, that aren't assumed that they'll get married. So stop teasing those men and women who have good friendships that they should get married. Um, and, and just making space for expressions of your personhood, which include the desire to connect, which include um, touch So, we all know this year in the pandemic, we're starved for hugs and just that like hand on a shoulder when you talk to someone. I feel like every time I go for even a physical walk with my friend and we don't hug to say goodbye, that part of my being that longs for connection isn't there. So, the the touch that is non sexual is, is so important for all of us, whether we have a sexual expression, sexual partner or not and to affirm for those who are single that your expression of sexuality of your personhood and your longing for connection there's ways to find deep meaning in that and and like frankly there are days when I don't want to navigate the complexity of being married and not having any energy after putting kids to bed to to keep our relationship healthy. And, and the single life I lived while I was um, living, I was living in Vancouver and studying theology and living on my own in a little bachelor suite. There was a beauty to that that gave me space to follow the calling that God had put on my life. And, and then when I was called into relationship with my husband um, to continue to see my understanding of myself shift um, that doesn't exclude Ways of finding meaning and connection uh, with other people still.
1: I appreciate that. Thanks, Amy. So, as a, a church leader, one of the things I'm often thinking about is whether or not uh, it's one thing to say that we're a loving community, but it's different to ask folks that are often uh, folks that describe themselves as being um, ostracized from the church or abused by um, policies or opinions or doctrines of the church. To ask them if we're a loving church is, it seems like a a different kind of question than to ask ourselves if we are. How do you think a community aims themselves at being a loving, uh, a loving spiritual family um, but also is willing to point people to difficult questions that the lordship of Jesus addresses in each person uh, sorry it's a i know it's a tough one but it's one we're actually thinking about
2: yeah it's um it definitely feels like that's that's the dichotomy that the two two paths in the woods that that has been set up for us and I, I think it's a bit of a a, a false step to say that there's only two paths um, but yeah the that the only way to be loving and inclusive is is and anything goes um your whatever you bring to the table will not be questioned um, and that i don't think personally i don't think that that's consistent with the christian witness um, to to dig into methodist history like John Wesley's early discipleship was these like these class meetings where the leader would just point blank ask everybody is like did you sin this week in this kind of sin in this kind of sin and this kind of sin and and it was just it created this atmosphere where you knew people would know you and so I think we 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 miss out on on casting a vision of being known um, because there are there are ways in which God wants us to be um, to be well, well and healthy and, and known. And there's boundaries and, and good and bad that he calls in each of our lives. Um, and, and there is a way in which we can love people by setting those boundaries and, and knowing them. But I think as people, we maybe do it at the wrong time. I think that's what it's like, it's somebody you don't know to call them out and say, did you sin this week? Like, that's, that's not it. That's not loving. Um, but when you do know somebody really well, and you choose to say, stay silent when you know, they're about to go do something bad, or you know that they have, and you, like, is the more loving thing to, to hear who somebody is when they walk in and to to listen unconditionally, to welcome unconditionally and get to know people um, and to let them know you too and not hide who you are and what you believe. Um, And then when you do hold relationship, how to um, have a mutual back and forth, rubbing on each other relationship where you can truly wrestle with um, the life, the freedom that God casts And to to open up a space, I think what I long for is these spaces where the Holy Spirit could speak to someone and could be like, sometimes we are a tool for somebody else's hearing the Holy Spirit, but usually it's not what we choose to say of like, here's the boundaries of good and bad and all that, that speaks to people's lives. It's usually things we do indirectly without thinking that are the loving, gracious thing the the way you listen. Somebody told me one time they were really blessed when I said I don't know to a question. I didn't do that on purpose. I just didn't know the question. Um, so having those moments of of humility and care and love will make space for the moments when you need to to maybe give some hard love or you just need to model what healthy life has been. And and I think another piece of living in community is that I think we are we're naive to think that the people we are currently in community with and feel comfortable with are not different than us. Um, So to to know that the people around us who we have lived with long enough to to call community, call extended family, call the kinship of God with, to assume that they are not quite different than us and that those people on the outside are definitely the different ones and these ones on the inside are the same, um, I think is a little naive. So to know that people out there who you don't know yet can be your your close kinship as well if you if you welcome them in and then um, those who are close to you may think differently and yet you, you've committed to them You're, they're your family and and that's good
1: we are so grateful that you would uh, sit on the hot seat so to speak today Amy and and I what I love is that you've you've changed the whole atmosphere where it isn't that kind of a conversation. It isn't a hot topic. It's something that we all are wrestling with or that we all should admit we're wrestling with who of us. Hasn't had some something related to our sexuality play into some kind of difficult question or painful experience. And so we really appreciate you taking time to, um, speak with us and share personal stories and point us in a direction of the emancipation of of scripture, or I forget how you said it exactly, but it was a freeing word, and we will take that um, and run with it. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening, and a special thanks to Amy Caswell Bratton, Thank you to our silent sponsor and our very supportive church community. Join us again in two weeks when The Repodcast Podcast continues in on our conversation about sexuality.
1: This has been episode 15 of The Repodcast, Podcast, the prefix that hopes for more than we had before.